Welcome to the Lodge. You've accessed the LodgeCast experience. Warning, warning. Dangerous spoilers ahead. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to another Lockdown Hot Takes. I'm Elijah West. With me as always is Brother Bishki. Hi. Brother Lucas looking dapper. Yo. And not only is Charlie Kaufman back with a big old movie tonight, but Brother Andrew is back with a big old afro. How are you doing, Andrew? Welcome, Andrew. I'm doing good. I'm trying to uh, experiment with afros, pigtails, mullets, every possible thing I can. I, uh, I didn't know until this hair situation happened that I had curly hair. Yeah, yeah I was, me I was too. Gonna, I was going to say, Andrew, you kind of <laughs> look, look like a, a, a young Charlie Kaufman, if I may say. I, yeah. Um, I thought I thought all of it when we, we logged into our Zoom call, I thought maybe you were Charlie Kaufman and I got real nervous. <laughs> Charlie Kaufman's back. Andrew's back. This is a big old movie. This, this movie is quite a bit larger than... Even Doolittle, which you last appeared for, it's two hours and 14 minutes yeah, of I, uh, pure I, cough mania. I wasn't super thrilled when I saw the running time, but, <laughs> but I actually, actually, I have a question uh, right away based on that description. When you say yeah. it's a big movie, are you just talking about the length? Because I heard nothing about this. Is there any actual like tingles <laughs> of anticipation that the world has felt like for this film? Well, as far as bigness, I was just talking about chock-a-block full of... Kaufman's idiosyncrasies but as far as as far as anticipation shit goes to Netflix now and nobody knows it's out shit (laughs) goes to Crackle and Hulu and Voodoo and fuck you and 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 nobody nobody even (laughs) knows things exist nobody knew about Crocodile Dundee part four until we brought it kicking and screaming into the light (laughs) yeah that's true I don't yeah. know if people are going to know about I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. I'm thinking yeah. You know? things. Yeah. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking it, it, I, I'm with Brother Lucas. I can tell already. OK, so let's let's hold our cards loosely close to our vest for a I little I, bit. I can't believe Andrew can read me like a book and we've only done Dr. <laughs> Doolittle before this. Yeah. Although it was it was dining, right? It was the fancy dining. It was dining. Yeah, it was dining. Can we talk a little bit of ch- about Charlie Coffin? I thought we had some inside information here. Andrew, you not only look like a young Charlie Coffin, but you've encountered the man. Your timelines have overlapped. In life, actually, indeed, indeed, they have. For about three weeks, we served on a chosen jury duty together, and um, I actually made the jury because I had those kind of skills. Charlie, however, was just an alternate. (laughs) <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you the the most operative thing about that experience was he was an alternate. Therefore, he was not privy to the deliberations on the jury. Right. And that, while, right. as it's a three week trial, it was a long trial. The deliberations were not exactly immediate when we went out together after because we did develop a small friendship i gave him a couple of books and radio plays and oh 
what do you know? Right after that, he makes uh, his own little radio drama. Interesting. Mm, uh-huh. Interesting. But, but uh, you know, we were, we, we were friendly, and um, he was grilling me for information yeah. about what was being said during the deliberations. And I had Ooh, to say, and did you stay strong? Oh, of course I stayed strong. I looked, <laughs> I looked down and just said, you know, Charlie, that's against the law. <laughs> Speaking of against the law, can you tell us, was this a murder trial? What was going on? <laughs> no, this was a civil trial about a company's failure to adhere to the American with Civil Disabilities Act. And, oh, they were guilty. Okay. Definitely oh, guilty. No, no, no wheelchair ramp is what I read into. Um, yeah. Failure to accommodate a woman with carpal tunnel from typing all day. Mm. Oh, no. oh, even less sexy than a wheelchair case. Yeah. Okay. Very unsexy. But Charlie still wanted those details. He <laughs> still needed them. He wanted Probably to know. Because he, he flourishes in the mundanity of life. Yeah. That's his wheelhouse. He will find those little details and make a garden out of them. Yeah, he can make a so, movie about carpal tunnel if he wants you to. Know, easily. Easily. But I think before this movie, because it had been a while since I had watched one of his movies, I would have been more willing to agree with that. But this movie focuses so much on extra reality lavish sort of <laughs> lascivious conceptuality that yeah. I have a hard time thinking that he actually does have a love for the mundane and the quotidian. Maybe he's lost it. Maybe he's I, lost it. I think, I think he's lost it. I think yeah. he's lost it. But at one point he had that love and that I, was probably around the time when he wanted to know those court details. True, true, so, true indeed. It was more than 10 years ago. So you have a complicated history with this man. You haven't been following him super closely. I mean, admittedly, I've watched it. I mean, look, I fucking watched all of Synecdoche. Yeah, you did. Anybody who's made it through Synecdoche, New York, deserves some sort of participation in <laughs> cinematic life metal. Roger Ebert's favorite movie of that decade. He gets excited. Did anybody see Anomalisa, his stop motion I saw film? that, yeah. I missed I that. I, I think I tried to watch it and couldn't find uh, anywhere where I could even like pay five dollars to watch it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> OK, <laughs> but now you're logging into Netflix and you're drinking this in full throatedly. Oh, yeah. And it stars Jesse Plemons. I get my my Plemons fix and then some. He stars as Jake. It also stars an actress named Jesse Buckley as young woman. And oh god, right off she the doesn't bat, even get a name. Come on. <laughs> well, she gets a I lot know, of names. I get she it. Gets I a lot get of names. Louise Wazawazi. You know, in its simplest terms, this movie is about a new couple, and the woman is accompanying <laughs> Jake home to meet his parents during a snowstorm. Uh -huh. And via copious amounts of voiceover, we learn that she's thinking of ending things with the relationship mm -hmm. and possibly more things than just the relationship. We don't fully comprehend and may never fully comprehend what the, all that entails. But any casual viewers approaching this film, like, oh, I'm going to watch a movie tonight. Uh-huh. The first 20 minutes is enough to scare most of them away. I mean, it's a 20-minute conversation in a car, very awkward, and immediately it's just like these weird cutaways and the coverage is all over the place. 
So it's, yeah, it's kicking out any Netflix viewers that thought they were just going to get a nice short night of entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> and the acting and staging as well is very theatrical. You're like, is this a movie? Is this a play? Is this a one act? Like, uh -huh, uh -huh. what what am I watching here? Where am I going? I know they're headed towards a destination, but what if they don't get there? It, you know, a lot of things swim through your head while you're watching this dark, snowy drive and i was thinking of lucas i'm like lucas i hope you have those lumens pumped up on your, <laughs> on your on your projector because this shit is dark yeah dark to see you can yeah. barely see it no the movie could you see it the movie i could see it <clears throat> i had my uh my projector running late night but uh, yeah the movie's voiceover is exhausting like overwhelming and it felt like adaptation voiceover the movie that he wrote Mm. like meets mm -hmm. Fargo. And I guess Jesse Plemons is on the Fargo TV series and some other actors like David Thewellis yep. and whatever are also on the Fargo TV series. But uh, that first 20 minute car ride knocked me right out. Like I, I didn't stand a chance. <laughs> like maybe you were five, five, yeah, five or 10 minutes in, I, I succumbed. The resident sleepyhead is back. So I woke up uh, once they got to the parents' house, but I, I did oh, fall no. asleep two more times. Uh, oh. And, and between sleeps two and three, I actually got up <laughs> off the couch and got down on the floor and did 10 push ups to like get wow, my okay. endorphins going over me because I was like, I need to like, I need to finish You're this. You're fighting it. I need to finish this. And I fell asleep a third time and, and 15 on the with, floor? With, with, no, no, I went back on the couch, but with 15 <laughs> minutes left, I fell asleep a third time. So I had to rewatch it the next day. Oh. Uh, oh. But I only rewatched it from the school on, but because sure. like, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it all over again. I'm sorry. Uh, understandable. I mean, you know, I've got a, I've got a tangential uh, recommendation for those moments of potential sleepfulness. They make <laughs> buffalo wing sauce that you can get in jars and canisters. Maybe just have some, yeah. that, uh, some of that on the side. Get some tater tots ready. Dip a tater yeah, tot yeah. or two into some refrigerated buffalo wing sauce or just keep it from, refrigerated you know, mcdonald's and chick-fil-a like i always do that and, is sound uh, advice and 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 you know keep yourself a little perky i uh, mean yes. i had i, I had problems with this one also i mean i no. I, yeah i was drifting we're always looking for suggestions to stay awake during some of these so yeah <laughs> yeah i wasn't drifted i wasn't drifted because no, when drifting. they finally get to this house, I mean, I was drifting. I wasn't drifting asleep. My mind was drifting. Yeah. But when we get to the house, it turns into a horror movie for a little while. And for, for I, a minute. I was quite uncomfortable. I couldn't have been more dialed in because this is my sweet spot. This is hitting all my awkward fetishist buttons like mm -hmm. dead on. And when they meet the parents, David Thewlis and Tony motherfucking Colette is back, bringing her hereditary vibes. Dude, I love Very her. hereditary Once. vibes. Um, that was by far the most engaging part of the film. It is so intensely awkward. He, yeah. they pull up to the house. They look up in the in the upstairs, and Tony Collette, you could you just see her outline, and she's waving, and she doesn't stop waving. <laughs> And she just keeps waving and yeah. and he's like, I'm not ready to go in yet. And it's a blizzard. So they go out to the barn and he tells this <laughs> terrible story about how there used to be pigs. And then his dad came out and realized that the pigs just laying around were being eaten alive by maggots. And they're looking at the stain of where the pig died while, while he's telling the so story. It's so 
dark and foreboding and then they get in the house and it gets even more awkward like i was loving it at this point my bones were peaking at this point it's interesting in terms of the flow of the film but once the film ends and you think back on what the film like what what the structure of the film is supposed to be then the pause before you go in the house is complete bullshit it's just a um narrative uh you know stepping stone which look it sets up eventually an animated pig waddling down a high school hallway shitting in blood and maggots all over the place so you know that's helpful that's a salad dragon We'll get back to that later. We'll get but back yes, to it later. Right. I guess I was disappointed when I was thinking about it afterwards because I was thinking there are so many things that are left unfulfilled and are ultimately pointless in terms of the actual story that is supposedly right. being yeah, told. Yeah, every, everything talked about or set up is never tied together or paid off. Like it's it's a fool's errand. Like you're grasping at straws. Like it's every conversation is mundane and trivial and meaningless and inane and it like it, it's like a railroad spike of boredom just getting pounded into your skull. <laughs> yeah, I mean the house, you know, I've been I had my issues with one location movies, but but this house, the production design was incredible and you got four people shades going. of relic too yeah and so i was like that's yeah i think i'm with lodge master that that was probably the most interesting stuff going on in the house but after the house we get back into the car again and we get, we get tw- back into the car and we get a 20 minute scene in the car again and they talk about second for like 10 minutes <laughs> those wow. those car rides those car rides are brutal and as as we're experiencing these car rides and the the dialogue starts just shifting into swaths of Pauline Kale reviews because we see a Pauline Kale book on his on his bookshelf and his in his childhood room. I'm assuming that's quoting verbatim from her review of a it was what I was thinking too. Yeah. yeah. It is. And they're talking Cassavetes, and you start to get that familiar pang of, oh shit, this is all metaphorical, isn't it? And this is all not really happening, probably. And just for fucking once, I would like a movie to present something on screen that is happening and have it actually be happening. But I but I feel but I feel before that moment though, I was even ahead of it because they open with like an old janitor that is inferred, yes. or at least I guess that it was Jesse Plemons as an old man, and they would keep yeah. cross-cutting back to the janitor's B story. And I yep. was like, oh man, this better not be like he murdered her, and this is like, yeah, like the, the victim's last memories that he's got or something that are like bleeding together with like other victims of hitchhikers he like murdered or something. <laughs> and nope, nope. I but I have I have a <laughs> response to that idea that you would like it to be things that are actually happening that are not metaphorical or metaphysical or what have you. Because the interesting thing is there was a very interesting movie where the things that people were imagining were actually happening. And that's being John Malkovich. And Mm -hmm. Uh, amen. Amen, brother. Like the stuff that the person was thinking what they weren't thinking it, they were experiencing it. It wasn't in their mind. It wasn't an attempt to be, 
interior monologue, stream of consciousness, whatever. It was <laughs> <Yeah>. actually, <laughs> no, here is an imaginative situation. And yes. now we are going to film it and give you the repercussions yeah. of it. So it's it's kind of doubly disappointing in a way. This is a reverse Malkovich, yeah. Yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's a reverse Malkovich. And I felt kind of the, the way that I felt when I was disappointed by Colin Powell watching this because no one expected <laughs> no one expected Dick Cheney to be a master of morals but we but some people did expect Colin Powell to have some sure. morality so when he goes along I'm with you with like so that's it I'm, I'm, I'm pulling on stuff here so when yes, he goes yes. along with some weird Iraqi like weapons of mass destruction bullshit it's like mm -hmm. it's like wait you're buying into this and you're gonna be the spokesperson for it so when Kaufman it's becomes the spokesperson person for even like this this like david foster wallace-esque constant self-referentiality which is not what made kaufman interesting like when yeah. he becomes the representative of this and is only doing adaptations of other people's work and bad nice. not, in, not interesting work to begin with then it's incredibly dispiriting because this is a guy who actually had interesting scripts. I kind of have to, yeah, echo that. that is like, I, I love being John Malkovich in adaptation. Those are like four bone masterpieces. And I know how smart yeah. Charlie Kaufman is and like how he knows a lot about drama and the human condition and all that. But like, I I have to, I have a lot to say later, but like I, I had to do my own research, like looking up what the book was in order to make yeah, sense of the movie I saw because when the movie just ended, I was like, no, 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 this is unacceptable. You don't just give us like a setup or, or a tone and then like nothing else. Like it's just not at all worth my time. And at over two hours and 15 minutes, like there's just not enough laughs in it for me, like not or 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 or, or like tension or whatever, like the, the dread just kind of like when they get to Dairy Queen, it's like this bad Stranger Things like Stephen King episode. But there's no but there's nothing scary about it. But it's like this weird, yeah, Lynchian like, oh, it's, it's maddening. It's like film school shit. Yeah. Oh yeah, play the play the film school reel. <laughs> yeah, student feature certified. <laughs> yeah, student feature certified. Ooh, student feature certified. I actually, I have, I have a, I have a film school thing on my notes too. Oh, that's it's not, great. It's not, it's not even film school, but my my note was it's like it's like a bad grad school thesis that's brought to film. Well, just to catch people up with the parents. <laughs> We start ping-ponging around in their age. So David yeah. Thewlis originally looks looks like he's not a day over the age when he disembarked from the island of Dr. Moreau. And I'm like, dude is looking good. But they de-aged him. And then later they age him and it all becomes this big symbolic soup about aging and getting older and memory and Shit that just because you put the pieces together or think you've put the pieces together, it doesn't necessarily equal anything profound because yeah. well, you've well, seen let this me, all let, Actually, hold on. Let me let me even say just because you say that these are what the pieces are doesn't right. mean that you know what the outlines of the puzzle actually are and doesn't mean it's that true. you've formed a coherency of how any of those things relate. Like – 
it, it reminded me of a scene in um, Ben Gazzara is in it and um, a woman under the influence. Buffalo 66. You no, know, it's it's Vincent Andy. Gallo. Brown Bunny. Sorry. Uh, happiness. I'm not even actually happiness might be it. What's that movie? Who, who made Todd that? Todd Salons' Happiness? Yeah, yeah Todd Salons. Todd There's Salons, a Todd yeah. Salons movie where he turns the camera on a guy and he gives a whole bunch of things that are critiques of the film that could be leveled against mm. the film. And that doesn't necessarily make the critique against the film any less valid. It was storytelling. Right, it was Todd Salons' storytelling. storytelling. It's yeah. e exactly. Yeah. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As the second car ride drones on, you start to suspect that... Maybe the young man and the young woman are the same people or she's a figment of his imagination well, or I, I thought he's a sure figment of a hers. Ghost. I was like 100% she's a ghost. She doesn't know she's dead yet. It's like Beetlejuice where it's like, hey, coach, I don't think we survived that crash. Like she didn't realize <laughs> it yet. And I was like, I can't wait where they like see an accident and they pull over and they get out of their car. Right. It's like her body on the ground. And it's like, nope, nope. What were you thinking, Bishki? I get the feeling like what I sometimes get with Aaron Sorkin where I'm just like, this is just Charlie Kaufman like talking to himself. Like this is just like yeah. an ongoing conversation of him pinging back and forth. Like these these aren't really characters. This is just like right. him talk, having a conversation in his head. Absolutely. Like, That's yeah. very Sorkin-esque. But then yeah. we also cut to this mysterious janitor character and he's watching a movie in the break room oh, of the school. This is the second that, salad dragon. <laughs> yes, yes. Double dragon. This movie contains some dialogue that is spoken by our, our two leads. So we're like, is this all inside of a movie? And the movie he's watching, they make a very distinctive point to say directed by robert zemeckis and it's Which I such laugh, a, it's I such a, a burn that. it's like a yeah. yeah so did i it's like one of the biggest burns because i don't know if you guys remember the coen brothers film burn after reading but there's a fake movie yeah. in that movie that um uh oh my god i'm spacing on um Frances McDormand, thank Penny you. Marshall. Thank you. Frances McDormand, okay. like she goes to see this movie and it's like this really cheesy ass movie. And that's what this janitor was watching. It was like essentially like this cheesy as fuck, like a boyfriend going to a restaurant, like a but diner. It was well done. That like yeah. a wa his girlfriend waitress works at. And she's like, Billy, what are you doing here? Like, you're going to get me fired. He's like, well, then if I get you fired, then I love you. And it's like this super sappy shit and when it ends it's like directed by robert <laughs> i was like oh man <laughs> shots fired yeah and i hope but I what hope does it all mean oh and does it that, does that, any of it matter th that is a huge dig at zemeckis that's that's exactly what it is like i can't believe he allowed that like zemeckis was cool with it. i really hope that charlie kaufman has seen welcome to marwin <laughs> I think he has. I could guarantee I, you that I he has. I know this is a big fuck you to Zemeckis personally because I don't know how many people know this, but but one of the most amazing things is in the published screenplay edition of Human Nature, which Charlie Kaufman wrote that Michelle Gondry directed, in the back of the script, there's a Q&A, and it's verbatim. I'm talking verbatim, cut and pasted, like copy and pasted from Paul Thomas Anderson's Q&A in the back of the Magnolia script, where he is just roasting Paul Thomas Anderson with his own exact like quotes. And it's it's like staggering to me 
how uh, Charlie, I think, likes to just throw shade at people in like the harshest, most cosmic way. Like even his <laughs> book that he wrote, Ant Kind, it's like over 800 pages. And I heard online like that it's it's based on a critic that gave a bad review of Amelisa or something crazy. Hmm. And and like I the, believe it. And the character yeah. in the book is like a film critic, like going to see like a, a screening or something. But he's a total fucking loser. <laughs> Wait, 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 though. What's, wait, what's the rep- What's the relationship between Zemeckis and Paul Thomas Anderson? Because Kaufman just likes to fuck with them. Like, if he, dis- if, he, if he thinks you're pretentious or a sentimental sap, like in Zemeckis' case, he's going to just fucking call you on it. And, like, in both instances, on public record, one in, in book form and the other in this movie, he's given his middle finger to both, respectively. Charlie Kaufman's a trickster, you know, he, he's got his vendettas. Mm-hmm. But after a certain amount of time, do we care? That's the question, and that's the dangerous tightrope that you walk on when you make a a film like this. Because when I did look up, you know, information about the book that it was based on, it evidently was very clear, very cut and dry as to what happened. Well, no, for the record, I didn't want anything to do with knowing about the book until I saw someone say... Oh, it was at my library in the crime section. And I was like, wait a second, <laughs> wait a second. I need to investigate this. And that's when I read what, what you were about to say. So wait, did, did you all know that it was based on a book before you watched the movie? No, I uh, know. No, no. OK, so I, I, I clearly didn't either. And when I saw a lot of my notes watching the movie were, wow, this is too literary. This might work in a book. But yeah, it sucks in a film. Um, Evidently, it did work in book form because people love the book. Uh, I think, but... I've, uh, based on some of the quotes <laughs> I read, and I, I don't, I, I have doubts about whether You're it works in You're dubious of that. Book. Yeah, I am. Um, but I, I, when I saw that it was based on a book, I was like, "Oh God, it's even worse than I thought." <laughs> but the big twist in the book is that all of this exists in the old janitor's mind. Yeah. And the young man is a representation of who the janitor might have been or become if he had just had the courage to talk to this girl that he had a crush on. And it's all just kind of fever dream fantasy in this janitor. This fucking passive bullshit. <laughs> and the janitor in the book isn't even revealed until the end. So we've been getting this janitor peppered in throughout the steady janitor drip, giving us, you know, wonky Total clues. Total steady janitor drip. And, and at the end of the movie, it's left kind of, well, not kind of, it's left completely open-ended as far as what the fuck is even going on or what it all meant. And I'm sure that that's delicious for a lot of people, but... I can't wait to see what the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is going to be oh, for yeah. this one. It's going to be low. It's going to be subterranean. Omniscient editorial note. The audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 47%. I, I mean, I thought it was it was so saddening when the janitor is sitting in his car, taking off all his clothes. That scene with the janitor in the truck was some Tommy Wiseauian level emoting. Well, but then <laughs> then you're like, oh, it's all going to be explained now. Like, 
it was that was sad because what it meant is everything that came before was totally empty and yeah. and the way his hands are shaking and the 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 speed of the flashback and just the way that that's edited and directed means oh i've given you almost nothing until now and now I'm going to sort of explain or semi-explain this. Semi-explain. Th- this, like, uh, essentially emotionally meaningless content. And it was like, goddamn. Because, like, Jessie Buckley, I've never seen her in anything before. But Jesus Christ, she worked her ass off for she that film. Yeah, she was, am- she was amazing. There was a, a moment where I think it was even... I don't know if it was after or during the Pauline Kale fucking thing or the recitation <laughs> of the poem by the other woman where she looks up like kind of like diagonally through the window, like right at the camera and right at the audience and finishes her thought. And I was like, well, that's powerful. But it was so yeah. little and so. And what's it in late. service of? And yeah. and also, yeah, it, it 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 made it had no bearing on the overall oomph of the film. That it was like that to me was almost a salad dragon of ingenuity. Every <laughs> because everything else was it was it was a desert of trying to make everything fit into this idea, and then you've actually got like an actually like compelling moment that it, it stood out, you know, like a, you know, diamond in a fucking ring setting or something. I really love this concept of a salad dragon of ingenuity because what it means to me, and I, I, I want to adopt this. What it means to me is there are flashier moments in this film, but they amount to nothing. So it's all, it's like a, a strained dragon if you view it within context. But a salad dragon of ingenuity is like a little moment that reminds you that, hey, this is an art form, you know, yeah, yeah. and this 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 maybe touched my heart a little bit or or made my brain my brain spin a little faster for a moment. So that said, the naked janitor gets out of his truck and follows an animated pig who is being eaten by maggots and is dripping blood everywhere through the hallways of the school as it talks to him, which, I mean, we would be remiss to not call that a salad dragon, but with the pig being totally resigned to, Hey, somebody's got to like get eaten by maggots. It might as well be me. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) And what is it? What is it? What does it leave you with? Like, what is, what is it in service of? What is any of this leaving us with is the question. And when you see Jesse Plemons accepting an award to an auditorium full of dead people and then sing a heartfelt song from Oklahoma. And Charles Foster Kane, old man makeup. (laughs) (laughs) It's just off. It is off. It is off the rails, but in a very subdued, sad way. And maybe that's what he wanted. It's off the rails in a disappointing way. I mean, I thought that it was like. I thought this was one of the worst climaxes ever because there there were genuine moments of tension. And I know some people don't have the patience and turn it off within 20 minutes. And I talked to people that were like, oh, yeah, I tried watching that and, you know, turn it off after 20 minutes. And I was like, "Okay, now these are people I barely know. So I didn't didn't have any judgments either way about what that might have meant. But, you know, there's nothing attractive 
about continuing to watch that film. This climax where it's this crisis of memory that supposedly explains that every oh, they're all one person and yeah. you know the 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 girl is a total fantasy why is that worth untangling aren't the interesting parts of this film <laughs> other moments like isn't yeah. it like tony collette's like tick parade is a <laughs> phenomenal piece of acting but i'm not sure yeah. it adds up to anything but I've still it's just good I for still, a demo reel. Yeah. I still really enjoyed watching it. Um, sure, sure. I, I do feel like I'm taking Lucas's stance because it felt like a student project of a book and like Plemons doesn't even seem like he knows how to play the final scene. He's so confused <laughs> singing yeah. and reading this stuff. He acts confused. Yeah. And is there anything more unwatchable than an actor acting confused (laughs) about what they're supposed to do he changes his emotions like on a dime like through those car rides like all the time like he's confused and then he's happy and then he's angry and it's like what is going on yeah and it's and they kind of and he cheat the thing that charlie kaufman does is he cheats the setup because i'm literally given no time but like to see who they are before they get in this car it's like like boom you're in the car like as soon as you sit down it's like old janitor car car <laughs> car well car. it's but it's it's also it's so literary lucas that like the opening scene of the film is all this intense over monologue with images of wallpaper and, you know, furniture and living rooms. So already you're set up for a failure of people and a failure of character. And it's you're I wasn't even expecting after that montage to even be greeted with a a modicum of respect for filmmaking and narrative (laughs) Um, you know, <laughs> affect, what have you. Well, keep that fire burning because we got to <laughs> go to them perplexing Kaufman bones. <laughs> All right. Uh, Andrew, you seem like you're on a roll. So just finish it out and render your bones, man. Um, okay. Before I get to my bones, I have to talk about David Thulis for a minute. Yes, because, please. Um, I saw the film Naked in the theater, which is a 1993 film of his when I was 16, 17 years old. And uh, I was with my father and his girlfriend at the time. (laughs) And um, maybe that is a good one to watch. That is absolutely epic. Yeah. And maybe (laughs) so it's clearly memorable and maybe a friend of mine that I had driven the four hours from Columbia, South Carolina to Atlanta, Georgia, to spend time with my dad. And he was like, why don't we go see this film? And I went to see it and I was just like, God (laughs) damn. And I I think, you know, we all walked out of the thing and I was like, well, it doesn't matter because when you're going to bed, I got some pot I'm going to smoke and I'm going to steal a bunch of your booze. Hell yeah. But still like, that's a dark fucking film and none of us could really have a conversation about it. So for me, David Thewlis is always naked in that film. 
And every time I see him, when he has like a semi-jocular character, and in this one, he didn't really have a jocular character. He still seemed like right. the kind of sleazy, metaphysical, existentially sort of self-devouring person yes. that, that, that was that character in particular. So that influenced me greatly, and I was kind of excited to see him, except for the, for the fact that none of that was fulfilled. Ultimately, if I'm going to judge this on bones of how I would recommend it, um, I have to admit I'm tempted to give a negative bone count. I'm tempted, and, and a negative bone count for me would be... You can't go negative. You can't go negative. A, a negative bone count for me, just let me say what it would be All right. if I did. Okay. A negative bone count would be if I knew someone that wanted to mm. see it, I would say you're going to have to withstand some violence. I'm going to punch you first, face, yeah. chest, foot, whatever, and then you're allowed <laughs> to go see it. That's what a negative bone count would be. You're um, overcompensating through violence to get them to maybe not watch so this movie. So maybe not I get, get to it. watch it. Uh, yeah. I'm going to give it a 0.75 bone count. And also point, not legal. Not legal. Just give the Roger Ebert five. Memorial half will suffice. Point five. Point yeah. five. Roger giving, Ebert Memorial half bone. I'm giving it a, a, a half of a bone and it's for the efforts of the actors who were clearly yeah. struggling and mostly That's for fair. Jesse Buckley and David Thewlis and the pig, of course. Of course, the pig. The pig was was very memorable. And Platt did a great job. Platt did a great job. Platt? Oliver Platt, the voice of the pig. What? That Oliver Platt was the voice of the pig? How did I miss this? I missed How did you oh, miss man. that? God damn. I didn't look at the credits. But. I'm going to have to reevaluate everything now. I'm, think, I'm thinking of reevaluating. Oh, my God. That um, soft, beautiful, maggot-dripping pig voice? I mean, it was a great voice. Let's move on to Brother Bishkin. I'm very curious because your pain threshold's usually a little higher for these things, but yeah. I don't know about this one. Um, you know, this is Netflix giving the writer director whatever they want to do, much like Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Uh, That's right. This is Charlie Kaufman. He said, do whatever you want, Charlie. And they give it to him. I watched Being John Malkovich last night um, Whoa. after seeing it in the theaters 20 years ago. And yeah. it definitely holds up. And I Hell thought, yes. you know, he always has some pretty sad individuals or couples in his movies <laughs> but when he's writing, when he's just writing and he's got someone like Spike Jones or Michelle Gondry to cheer it up, like in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, then his movies can succeed. But now that he's shifted into directing with Synecdoche, New York, Annamalisa, and I'm thinking of ending things, these movies have gotten quite tedious, quite depressing, not so funny. You know, he's still surrounded by a lot of talent, so I have to respect that. The, the actors are yeah. good. He's got the Polish cinematographer who shot Cold War, which we talked mm. about a long time ago, uh, and Ida, and uh, looks great, great production design. So all those things I have to respect, but these 20-minute dialogue scenes, <laughs> like, you know, Netflix will allow it, but should it be allowed? <laughs> they will allow it. Should it be allowed? Ooh. And, uh, you know, maybe he needs a director and an editor to snip and cheer it up a bit. I'm not going to revisit, even though uh, if I had to derive meaning from it, I would have to revisit. But I don't know what it was about. Um, giving it two bones. Nice. Which is 
generous. That's a quarantine love and light bump up to two if ever there mm-hmm. was one. Half bone, two bones, brother Lucas. I I Late I'm afraid waste. to even ask. Yeah, man. I, I kind of want to use Brother Andrew's negative bone to fight you, Brother Bishke, over giving that many bones to this movie. I know. Uh, but yeah, it was obviously tough for me to get through. And when I finally finished it the next day, and it just ended with the high school dance number and the old man makeup and the whole audience is an old person makeup, no explanation or rhyme or reason, just like that's the cherry on top. You know, thanks for thanks for sitting around for two hours and 15 minutes. Um, I was pretty let down. I mean, I didn't have any specific expectations going in, except I guess you could say they were high because in addition, yeah, to the movie Spike Jones directed of his screenplays, I, I love Schenectady, New York, and I used to own it on DVD and thought it was brilliant and like something that you could rewatch because it is so interesting and a lot to unpack. And it's like this Wes Anderson, Harmony Corinne, like mashup. <sighs> but when, when this movie, yeah, when we got to the house with the parents, I was like, okay, yeah, we're in hereditary uh, land here. I wonder. Hereditary is heredity territory. And yeah. I was kind of, I was kind of amazed that Kaufman cast Tony Collette in that role because I feel like if I was directing, I'd want to. It's get, so on the nose. Yeah, I get someone different. I mean, I love Tony. She's amazing, but but I don't know. Maybe anybody else. I don't know. And and I love David Thwellis and like yeah, brother Andrew. Like I I I think he's a fucking amazing like global uk treasure but here yeah like it doesn't go anywhere it doesn't pay off and then when i finished it and heard that like the book had this huge janitor subplot that he just excised (laughs) or in the book it was like these two strangers talking about a crime that occurred at a high school and i looked into what the book was i was like oh like that is an interesting yeah psychological thriller horror vibes whatever you want to call it like concept but it's like charlie kaufman yeah like he it was like some bratty film school brat that's like oh i know how to make this like even more powerful i'll take away the resolution or take away yeah the subplot (laughs) and it'll make it like that much more open to interpretation man and it's like oh i just was like groaning so hard when i realized that because it's like it's like you're setting out to make a movie like fight club with like oh there is no tyler dirt and it was him all along but you don't have the balls to own up to it you're like a coward and you're like no mm. no like i don't want to i don't want to stoop to the fight club level so i'm going to do it my own He's way up. like frank sinatra and and yeah i'm going to like give birth to this fucking you know half-baked idea that just absolutely goes nowhere um, how many bones i give it one and a half bones one and a half Jesus after Christ. all that wow that's a lot of bones that's a bone bounty that I seems mean, wow. like a bone bounty for I that i mean like the aspect ratio and the editing it all feels jittery and anxious and like you're on edge and you're waiting for the shoe to drop and like you know for for shit to happen it just never does it's just constantly stuck in second gear until it just stalls out and that's one and a half for Brother Lucas. Wow. Wow. Okay. Wow. I, okay. You know, I'm right there with you. I'm going one and a half with this one. And it's mainly because, you know, I I probably spiked at three during during some of the uh, the dinner scene with, with the parents. And then it just dropped precipitously after that. And the main problem I have is that 
Charlie Kaufman for so long has been an expert at sort of satirizing the artist going up his own ass. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you look through his work and that's present and it's sharp and it's smart mm-hmm. and y- you know that he's on the right side of it. And mm-hmm. with this one, he went up there and he never came back. Mm-hmm. And I don't I think there's an echo chamber up his ass where there's nobody talking to him and this is what we end up with and all prostate no pleasure that is exactly right and it's <laughs> it is dispiriting and just a little depressing on top of the dispiriting and depressing subject matter so i don't know it, maybe this is just the journey he's on and the destination is whatever's up that cavernous ass i don't know <laughs> i gotta give it one and a half i'll never watch this again and but it does seem like a movie that might pop up in your mind every once in a while because it is so odd and it, it, it does make you feel so weird. And I feel like I was in that car with them and going on that ice cream stop in the blizzard. Like it's bizarre enough and full enough of dream logic where I don't know, it might it might play tricks on us later on. We'll see. <laughs> I'm thinking of ending things. Yes, I am too. And brother Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on this journey. It's Thank you, Andrew. It's taken a sizable chunk of your life that you've donated yes. to this. So I'm glad yes. to do it. And the jury duty, the jury duty was key. Yes. It's wonderful to see you guys. And uh yeah, we'll catch you on the next adventure, brother Andrew. Love you. Love and light. Love and light. Love and light, Lodgecasters. Oh!